Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Good evening and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. Guys, it's here. The 2023 Formula World Championship starts literally minutes, hours, couple of days from now, whatever. We're going to Bahrain, not literally, but figuratively. I'm excited. Hammy's excited. We're getting ready to do this thing for real for another. You know, This is the eighth season this podcast has covered a Formula One World Championship. That in and of itself is crazy. But Hammy, I'm starting to ramble. We're not even a minute into this thing. So help me out. Jump in here by telling me how your day or your week is going. This is like, what, our, our fourth podcast in seven days or something? It's uh, been a busy week, buddy. It's been a busy week, but it's the time of year where we want to produce as much quality content as possible because people are looking for it. So my week has kind of been a mix of up and downs. One, did a ton of podcasts, had the pleasure of joining the Mina Grand Prix team based out of the Middle East, North Africa region, did a fantastic show on the weekend. Of, of course, Sam Cooper sat down with me on Sunday and we had a great show. You and I sat down with Tim on Sunday. We did that fantastic season preview. Then you and I sat down with Seth last night, had a lot of fun. So that was good. Good. Found out today that my possibly my single favorite retail brand in Canada, Nordstrom, is backing out of Canada. They're closing shop here and they're going to focus on the US. So I was heartbroken today when I found that out. A lot of boo boo Hamilton, <laughs> your favorite luxury department stores leaving Canada, but I am sad. But I'm trying to turn that frown upside down with some of the exciting stuff that we have to talk about tonight. And the first one is this I'm going to put you on the spot. My friend, have you signed up? for the Scuderia F1 podcast, Super League Fantasy League. Yes, I have. I have. I have. Oh, I was not expecting that. I I was not expecting that. So so you kind of burst my balloons, (laughs) but uh, I'm very happy that you have. And so far, we have, I think, 450 people that have entered. We kind of teased. We kind of teased a couple of days ago that we're going to lean into some good prizes, but we can officially, and Daly, I'm going to kick this over to you, but we can officially now confirm our first prize the grand prize. Yes. I'll kick so this one over the, to you, my the, friend. the grand prize is going to be a one half scale uh, Max Verstappen helmet autographed uh, on the visor, and that comes to us courtesy of Racing Exclusive. Uh, pardon me, RacingExclusives.com. Go check them out. Big thank you uh, to Thies Roadharts, and he's in Strayen in the Netherlands. And Thies, hartstikke bedankt, jongen. That is echt fantastisch. And we're just thrilled to have such a, a wonderful prize uh, to give away to some. Some lucky listener, but I mean, are we now excluded because you maybe sign up for this thing? If, yes. if I come yes, in first, yes, yes, we would, we cannot win our own fantasy. Oh, well, league, I mean, I friend. wouldn't win we anyways. Cannot, no, I mean, no. I'm terrible at fantasy, but <laughs> you know, if there was something that I would, you know, any kind of like autograph merch, you know, I'm all over that. But that is a very very cool prize. And Tisa, thank you very very much uh, for your generosity. 
it kind of amps up the stakes, right? That I've heard from so many people today that, yeah, like I was interested, I was exciting, but now I'm going to be totally invested because there's such a great prize. It's being shipped. I'm going to put it into storage, lock lock it away until November when the championship is decided. Uh, the other cool thing is it comes with a certificate of authenticity as everything mm-hmm. does um, at the racing exclusive store, which by the way, we will be talking about endlessly because it looks to have some amazing, amazing stuff. But again, thank you so much to tease for stocking us with the grand prize for our F1 Fantasy Super League. Another couple of updates as well that I wanted to share because we get a lot of questions about this, but you and I, we kind of targeted that our goal for this year was going to be 1 million downloads. And last year we did over 500,000, well over 500,000. So this year we're targeting a million. Year to date, we are up 20% versus the same period. So we owe a huge debt of gratitude to everybody listening. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And if I can ask for one more small thing, I promise we're not switching to a subscription format. That's never going to happen. But if you can give us a rating on Spotify, and so many of you have this week, I think we have over 350 ratings on Spotify now the 3, 3.8, 4.8 rating is wow. amazing. And if you listen on Apple and you can give us a rating and a review, that would be awesome as well. Uh, a couple of other really, really quick things before we jump over to the news. We are working on a complete rebrand of the website. Um, we are, well, we've never even launched the website, <laughs> but we are working on a rebrand of the show with a new website. Uh, we've locked in the gentleman who is going to do the work. I don't want to spoil it yet, but he has done some phenomenal work. You'll recognize a lot of it. So uh, we're also fishing from some new sponsors to help pay for the rebrand and to pay for the website. But that is the reason that the merch has been delayed. And finally, the poll of the week, and we had 400 submissions, which is the most we've ever had for one of the polls on our Twitter feed. But we asked the following question, and it leads into one of the stories that we're going to talk about tonight. But the question was, this season, I'll be watching Formula One via dot, dot, dot. And the response was this, The F1 TV Pro app, 44% via your domestic TV provider, 40% or via illegal streams, 16%. So given the fact that the F1 TV Pro app didn't exist until 2018, that's pretty incredible that almost half of our audience now consumes F1 races, qualifying practice via the app. Pretty cool stuff. Yeah, I mean, I've been watching exclusively on F1 TV for the last two years now, I think. And it's it's been a game changer for me. I mean, I, I just uh, can't envision myself going back and watching via terrestrial cable uh, again. I mean, for, for me, it was just uh, such... Uh, just such the it was it was a thing I was waiting for. Let's put it that way. And especially last year when they launched the the Apple TV app, that was another big game changer oh, as yeah, well. You know, like yeah. I didn't mind watching on my iPad. I didn't watch watch mind watching on my phone, but being able to watch like through a proper native Apple TV app rather than casting totally, it from totally. my my iPhone onto yeah. the TV was just has just changed the whole I- experience and I mean you know we, we were talking about last night with Seth just about like DTS now you can watch everything in full 4k glory I mean that that's going to be the next thing but I mean where it's at right now where it's coming a fairly short amount of time and just how it's just enriched it, it not just my enjoyment of watching races and qualifying and everything but I mean just in general I think that has just been a fantastic fantastic uh, development for the sport. Totally. And Daily, I'm going to skip ahead to our second story because it's about F1 TV. And I'm reading here from F1.com. 
F1 TV unveils new features and a new presenter lineup ahead of the 2023 season. And I'm quoting here, following a record-breaking 2022 that saw fans stream more than 115 million hours of F1 footage, F1 TV has unveiled its presenter lineup and a new package of features. Following a record-breaking 2022 that fans saw all that that uh, content, blah, 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 blah. This year, and I'm just kind of skipping ahead here, this year the expert analysis in-app will be provided by Will Buxton, who returns as a lead presenter alongside Laura Winter, Rosanna Tennant, yay, and Lawrence Barreto, yay. Alex <laughs> Jacks will lead the commentary team supported by co-commentators Jolian Palmer and Canadian James Hinchtown. Hinchcliffe. Yes, love yeah. it who was actually on this podcast less than a year ago. Formula One ambassador and Channel 4 pundit David Coulthard will also provide commentary for a number of races throughout the season. And Sam Collins will return as F1 TV's technical analyst for the new season. Yay. And the cool new features, one of which I think already exists, the cool new features according to F1.com, continue watching. Fans will now be able to pick up watching their favorite F1 content right where they left off across any device. Watch liver from the start. Fans who missed the start of the race now have the option to enjoy the race spoiler-free. Pretty sure that already exists because I use it all the time because I sure as hell am not watching live Grand Prix racing at 6 a.m. Search. Fans can now search for their favorite F1 content without having to scroll through the F1 archives and live now. F1 TV will now send fans notifications when a live session is about to That's start, cool. which I think is actually super yeah. cool. Super yeah. cool. Yeah, I like the the idea. Like I noticed that watch live or from start that, that I don't think is new either. I'm pretty sure that was uh, integrated into it like uh, for last season if I'm not mistaken but that definitely is um, you know a good thing to have especially if you're watching yeah. on demand rather than live that you don't um, you know go to watch the Bahrain for example you're like ah crap Lewis won and Max was second and Charles was third and it's just like you know the result before you can even sit down and start start watching it so I think that's great I love that um, you know you the continue watching function as well that you can start on your Apple TV and you can go to your phone or what, whatever it is, however you're consuming it. I love how you can go across uh, devices and just kind of like pick it up and watch. I think that's cool. Hammy, I'm so excited. I, I can't wait to get this uh, season going. I, I don't know how I'm going to get through the workday tomorrow. I don't know how I'm going to get through. Well, Saturday, I mean, you know, there, there's qualifying. So, I mean, that that kind of, you know, you know, itches that scratch or scratches that itch or whatever the say it is. So, you know, but I mean, I just, I just want to get to the main event. I'm just, I'm, I'm just ready for the race on Sunday. I apologize to everyone I work with because I am going to be a disaster tomorrow at work. <laughs> I intentionally, by the way, I intentionally booked my entire day with meetings to distract me from practice. And I'm not usually super excited about watching practice. But again, we don't know how much these teams were sandbagging. Yeah. We don't know how much they were holding back. We don't know what upgrades they brought from winter testing. So I w- I'm going to be a disaster tomorrow. But uh, but yeah, I, I kind of loaded up my day with meetings so I can stay focused, quote unquote focused and get kind of earn my pay tomorrow. But yeah, super, super, super. I don't super know if you'll, you'll be able to stay focused, but I respect that you're, 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 you're attempting to, that you're going to make the effort to try and do it. I, I hope for your sake that you could pull it off, but uh, yeah, w- well done. I, you know, the, the one way to kind of, uh, you know, just distract yourself, keep your mind on other things and it, you should hopefully fly right through the day. Okay. Let's take a look at some of the other news that's, that's going around. So Susie Wolf, yes, that's family Wolf. So Susie, uh, who is obviously married to Total Wolf, you might've heard of him. 
a couple of times in relation to Formula One. Obviously, as the uh, as the team principal of uh, Mercedes AMG Patronus Formula One team, so she's also the former principal of uh, Venturi Formula E team, and she's been appointed the managing director of the new all female Formula One Academy. And this was announced by Formula One on Wednesday. So this new series has the aim to help young female drivers move up uh, through motorsport. So there has not been a single uh, female uh, driver that started in a Formula One Grand Prix since Lella Lombardi in 1976, which is far, far, far too long ago and probably predates before many of the people listening to this podcast might have been born. So anyways, uh, Susie herself is also a former racer. She uh, competed in uh, DTM. She was also a development driver for Williams, and she will report directly to F1 CEO Stefano Domenicali, so not, you know, via, 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 going to the big person right in charge, right at the top. So I think this is uh, this is very cool that there's, you know, there's a direct line of communication. Anyways, uh, Susie had to say, quotes, I believe the F1 Academy can represent something beyond racing. It can inspire women around the world to follow their dreams and realize that with talent, passion, and determination, there is no limit to what they can achieve. End quote. So the inaugural season will have seven rounds uh, with uh, the driver supporting the United States Grand Prix at uh, Coda in October. So if uh, you're going to the U.S. Grand Prix later this year, you'll be uh, treated to some uh, very good uh, support races on the card that weekend. Yeah, and you absolutely agree with me on on my following point because we've talked about it before. But let's be super clear that that Susie Wolf got this role, got this opportunity based on her own personal credentials. Like this is nothing to do with the fact that she just happens to be married to a Formula One team principal. Like you said, she was a, for, a Formula One test driver, development driver for Williams. She competed in German touring cars, which is one of the most demanding racing series on on the planet. Uh, she she obviously has executive and leadership experience in Formula E. I think this is a beautiful fit for her. And to remind people at home, because there might be a little bit of confusion between the role of the W Series, which again, I'm still incredibly angry that Formula One didn't step in and buy and that the FIA couldn't fund to complete their last season. Uh, The Academy is designed to be very much a intermediary series between karting and open wheel, open open wheel, open seat racing cars, because I think part of the challenge today is that for young women that are competing in in karting, it's very hard for them to take the next step. And this academy is designed to find an effective home for those drivers who excel in karting. And it's really designed about creating opportunities and pathways into Formula 4, Formula 3, W series, the the caliber of the cars that they're going to be racing are effectively, and they'll be spec cars, as you would expect from a championship like this, but the cars themselves would basically be the equivalent, whereas a W series car is very similar to an F3 spec car, the Academy cars will be more in line with what we would expect to see in a Formula 4 championship. But again, very cool, creating opportunities for young women, excited to see it. Um, and I hope that 
at some point, the FIA or Formula One also continues to invest in in the W Series. But ultimately, maybe the W Series eventually becomes redundant, right? That if if the academy is really effective at developing young drivers, maybe they can go straight into F3. Maybe they can go straight into Formula Two. And the W Series no longer serves the, the purpose it was intended to do, which is to create exposure and to create a platform mm-hmm. and a... a an environment where talented women can race, maybe that eventually won't be necessary because the academy will help develop so many and pump them into the traditional junior formula. Well, the thing is that those channels, those pipelines, they have to exist uh, elsewhere, right? If if they don't, then you know, like the, these female drivers are just no, not going to get the opportunity to race anywhere. So the the opportunities have to be there. But I, I love how Susie, who's been there, done that, has the T-shirt, the DVD the VHS and God only knows what else is the person that's going to be spearheading it because who else is going to know better who else has had the experience of the challenges that female uh, drivers face like through the sports you know absolutely I mean the the great um, you know comp that uh, that we have on this program is the interview that you did last year with Amber Balkan who's uh, a was a what level was it was NASCAR what I forget the exact series Uh, but I mean just I mean she was a Dedicating what was it? Something like seventy five percent of her time, just eighty percent yeah, of her time. Man. Yeah, eighty percent of her just time. trying to get sponsors, just so she can stay on the track and 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 funds like what she's trying to do, which is a mind blowing uh, amount. You know, it's it's not in the garage, it's not on the track, it's it's not training and staying in shape. It's just trying to fund the whole venture. I mean, just crazy. Anyways, great bit of news. Glad to see that Susie Wolf is the person that will be uh, heading that up. Okay, just uh, because you change things around because we're already like a little bit giddy and disorganized what with the season literally starting hours from now just to follow up with the uh, the announcement uh, just with what's happening with the the f1 tv pro side uh adam stern uh was me um tweeted out something saying that uh, espn is ramping up their formula one coverage this year including the first live monaco race on abc which is huge more consistent coverage on sports center new content on espn plus sports center also plans to cover f1 before and after all races and go particularly heavy for the three U.S. events in Miami, in Vegas, and Coda. So that's uh, really, really uh, big. That, that's huge. Glad to, to hear that. Now, this next story, I think, is uh, pretty cool. And I'm glad to hear this one because this is one of the Formula One tracks that I've been to. And this development is something I'm glad to see because I think it's particularly spoiled the flow of that track. And that is the Circuit de Barcelona. Um, and they are removing that final chicane just before the pit entry where you come out of those nice kind of like flowing corners at the at the tail end of the circuit then you kind of go into a hard right and then a short little straight section then a hard left another hard right before you come around on to start finish so you're going to come around through the reprofile i think it's turns nine and ten which they restored to its uh, regular original configuration pardon me for the 2022 season now they're going back to the original configuration for the the last two corners for for this season kind of restoring the track to its you know it's it's, it's original original intention and i think that's uh, going to to be great looking forward to seeing that and i'm just looking at this aerial photograph of the of the track right now and i think it will i think it'll change it because i hate that uh, that 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 chicane at the end it, it ruins it and even when you're playing video games where you're gaming and playing the f1 you know official game that I, I i think is just it's my least favorite section of almost any track you know 
Not that I've ever been a Formula One car, but from a gaming point of view, it spoils it. So that's cool. What do you think about that? I mean, it, this is this trend, right, that we've seen over the past couple of years of. of oh, yeah. you're stealing my thunder. You're stealing my okay. thunder. That was my I retract point. It. You so run let, with it. You run with it. Retract, now. retract, retract your thunder. It. Yeah, my point was going to be exactly what you were going to say, which Good is call. This right is an on. Ongoing I never thought trend. of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's an ongoing trend yeah. where we see race organizers investing in their track. And we saw it in Yoss, which I, I was quite surprised about and i think it's made for a, a hugely improved racing experience obviously albert park in australia they continue to invest in that track now we're seeing improvements in in spain and a lot of it's about taking out these small kinks and the chicanes to create <coughs> better racing experiences and to create more overtaking opportunities it's just it's so cool to see man and i think for you just like it was for me at yas like this is a track you know intimately because you physically spent time there it's it's really cool and you can be a little bit more emotionally invested in the change. And I thought I saw this quote in Autosport that I thought was really good. And it says, Alonso and the removal of the final chicane at Barcelona. That's the good thing about experience. I'll be the only one to have raced on that layout for a few years. I got <laughs> such a good chuckle out of that. Yeah, well, no kidding, because Fernando's been around Formula One now for, what, uh, 20 plus years, which is uh, which is amazing. But yeah, I mean, just the trend of uh, reprofiling tracks uh, and and just restoring them to their, their original configuration or like a Yas where they're just made improvements to the track. I, I think it's a great idea. And also what we saw at Sunport last year as well, some of the changes that they, they made to the circuit. I love this trend and I hope that it, ke- it keeps up because it seems that the trend for a very, very long time was, was almost completely the opposite. Like the, the pendulum has swung completely the other way before. It was adding chicanes, finding ways to slow the ca- the cars down and essentially kind of taking some of the fun, kind of the spirit out of the track. I mean, obviously safety always has to be paramount, but I, I feel for a long time it's it, it's kind of been you know, too much in the way of, um, you know, slow the cars down, make it unfun, make it less, you know, enjoyable to watch. So glad to, to see that one. Anyways, let's take a quick break here because we're going to jump into this whole Alpha Tauri and Dreddy Motorsport thing. So we're going to be talking on that one for a bit. So we'll take a, a quick timeout. First of all, we'll pay some bills. We'll come back. We'll talk about Red Bull. We'll talk about Alpha Tauri. Why do these guys get, we got to, we got to hit those guys up with an invoice because Alpha Tauri, Red Bull, they occupy an, disproportionate amount of real estate on this podcast compared to probably all the other nine teams combined many weeks but uh, anyways I'll, I'll start writing that invoice up while we go to a break and we'll come back on, on the flip side so don't go away passion drive and patience the formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back. And yes, sticking with the news. So rivals, you know, how can how could you even have a rival in Formula One when you don't even have a Formula One team? That's why I don't yeah, understand that. That's a great why, point. Why Michael Andretti, like who I, I feel in the paddock is kind of like portrayed as this this Doctor Evil, this 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 Bond villain because you know reasons, and he he doesn't have a team. He doesn't, you know, he he, he I mean, he's trying to get a, a team but yeah that's funny anyways this is a story that comes uh, via adams cooper and that's on uh, motorsport.com it's titled rivals pushing to triple andretti f1 entry fee to 600 million dollars and they're trying to triple the 200 million anti or sorry 200 million dollar anti-dilution fee that the 11th uh, entrant not necessarily andretti will have to pay in order to join the world championship hammy your thoughts on this i mean this seems this to me almost seems like punitive and it, it seems like it's it's trying to be a deterrent more than anything else i mean that that's just my initial take on it i i don't know what you think but i'd be you know very keen to hear your thoughts on this i like that we our opinions diverge for once on this and to kind of backtrack do, 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 do. okay we'll backtrack this to august of 2020 all of the teams and Formula One together, and they signed the most recent Concord Agreement. And in that Concord Agreement, which is effectively the master contract that brings all of them together into the Formula One World Championship, there was a clause in there that said any new team to Formula One has to pay basically $200 million expansion fee that would be split up evenly amongst the teams. And that valuation at the time was really based on the fact that, one, we were peak covid in the middle of a pandemic, the global economy was shut down and the Williams team had just been sold for roughly $200 million. That's kind of where that number came from. The The reality now, of course, is that the sport has exploded in ways that I don't think anyone could have imagined. And the likely valuation of a team, if it was on the market today, would be $700, $800 million. So I think for the existing teams, their perspective is like, look, if we're going to add a team, that $200 million valuation isn't necessarily appropriate anymore. So what's likely to happen, and this is an article here from motorsport.com, is that there is an ability to to modify the outlined valuation in the Concord Agreement, and it would take uh, consensus amongst the 10 teams and Formula One, but that's very likely to happen. And I've been arguing for a while that the teams might just keep kicking this down the road until 25 when they sign a new Concord Agreement and they throw a billion dollars expansion fee valuation in there. But the reality is they're probably keen to get a higher fee on the book soon. And it sounds like according to this motorsport.com article, that $600 million is like the baseline that they're talking about an even higher expansion fee, or as they call it, anti-dilution fee, that they're looking for a number probably closer to seven or $800 million. And I think the reason there's some urgency to do this is that, of course, the FIA launched against the wish of of the Liberty Formula One group, the commercial rights group, they 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 initiated their expression of interest process and basically effectively started taking bids 
quote unquote bids for a new team. And the reality is if the FIA comes back and they say, hey, we sign off on this bid, it kind of puts F1 into a difficult position because they would formally have to oppose the bid. So maybe alternatively, you know what, they go back to that Concord agreement, they amend it, they stick in an in an $800 or $800 million expansion fee. Mm -hmm. And then when the FIA kind of signs off on the Andretti bid, the FIA could say, or Formula One could say, hey, we're good, come on in, but it's going to cost you $800 million. And of course, the Andretti group is doing everything in its power because they know there's a clock here and they're trying to do everything they can to get on the grid for that discount price of 200 again discount price. Who the hell am I to talk about $200 million <laughs> being a discount price, but a discount price of $200 million. And you know, I think that they will probably long rue the fact that they didn't have their they didn't have their stuff in line in in 2020 because they could have had Williams for 200 million dollars. 21, they could have had Sauber for 350 million dollars. That all of these opportunities were here. They could have gotten the grid in 2016 for nothing, which is effectively what Haas did. But now the sport's in an entirely different place economically, and they're going to have to pay the price to get on the grid. Yeah, you know that that that's a great point, Mark. Uh, and and I don't uh, I'm not trying to suggest. That, uh, that they should get like a bit of a pass or, you know, have to, you know, have an, e- an easier time of it uh, at the expense, literally at the expense of the the other 10 Formula One teams. It's just uh, when I saw that sort of like tripling of the $200 or $200 million, which, you know, when you think about it now, that the way that uh, that, that Williams is kind of, you know, that, that $200 million price tag from a couple of years ago up to where it is now is, is crazy. And I would love to to really know how much these because I mean the the numbers that we hear are kind of like speculative. I, I'd really like to know what is the book value of Mercedes AMG Petronas Formula One team or Scuderia Ferrari. Great point. Like, like Great not point. just I mean I I know that people and outlets like Forbes they do a very very good job when they come to like valuating some of these like um different uh, di- different teams and different leagues like in the NFL and NBA the English Premier League whatever it might be and but. I mean, at the end of the day, like I, I think that is just like their best educated guess. If I kind of understand that, uh, you know, correctly, I mean, they do a lot of research into it, but I know we'll never totally know that answer, like for for a hundred percent certainty. But I would really like to know, like, like is Mercedes worth a billion dollars, or is it worth one point five, or or whatever it is? Like, what is the true value of Haas or even AlphaTauri? So, it is uh, it is interesting that, um, and I didn't even think that uh, that you know didn't did even consider that Williams could have been a, an option for Andretti a couple of years ago because it almost felt like they kind of like rushed in to try and buy Sauber a couple of years ago, right? Back in 2021. It was almost like, it's like, okay, well, we, we want to do this thing. Like, we got to get on it. We got to get on it right now. It seemed very rushed at the time. It's like they knew that their their opportunity, their window to try and buy that team was was very, very small because, you know, there's there a lot of rumblings at the time that should that happen, that a lot of the teams weren't going to be be happy about it because, I mean, if you're 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 Total Wolf or Mattia Bonato or you know more importantly the people above them in the boardroom at uh, or even at, at the even some of the smaller teams thinking that that these guys are going to get in at sort of this bargain basement price it's just like you know if he gets in for like 200 350 million dollars like we've talked about before like that really devalues the 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 price the value of the other other teams on the grid which uh, daily I 
I completely yeah. forgot that you and I spent two months talking about that. The fact yeah. that when they were going through the due diligence process to potentially buy a big chunk in Summer Sauber, 2021, there was baby. opposition. Yeah, yeah, there was opposition at the time because the other teams thought the deal was too. And ultimately, Sauber did the right thing. Which they did. Was, yeah. They. I. I think. I think there's two things at play that. The Andretti group basically said, hey, we backed away because the price was a little bit too high and because they wanted to retain, they being the Sauber group, wanted to retain some sort of stake and they weren't interested in kind of a partnership. But I think really it was just that Sauber got cold feet because they probably heard the whispers from the other team saying, look, you're selling low, you're selling low. And then of course the Audi, the Audi opportunity manifests itself. And presumably that deal is significantly more than the $350 million that you and I were talking about 18 months ago. Ago. Yeah, you know, in, in light of the whole Audi announcement, the official one that came, uh, you know, I would say earlier this year, but came recently, right, is that we, we kind of like backdated now and it seemed at one point like the Sauber Andretti thing might happen, but seeing that this that that didn't happen, and eventually Sauber and uh, Audi hooked up uh, together, and then it will transform. It's going to be this vehicle to become like this, uh, you know, Audi Works team in a couple of years in twenty twenty six. Kind of makes me sort of want to wind back that um, that that whole timeline. That I kind of wonder now: what was Audi already, you know, making phone calls and kicking? tires so to speak and looking for an entry into formula one as early as, as summer of 2021 you know that would be really really fascinating to find out because i seem to remember when that story broke about like andretti trying to buy um uh sauber that probably came up summer break ish time of year in 2021 mark if i remember correctly because i remember we talked about it uh, quite a bit there and then it, uh, it it disappeared so again we will have to see whether or not uh, this happens but i mean andretti i mean he just seems to be wanting to to try and get into formula one whichever way he can but it seems whichever way he's trying to do it seems that uh, that he's meeting opposition from from formula one and that that's why i had to say you know it's like is he perceived as this kind of like bond villain in the uh, in the pit lane. Anyways, Red Bull, you know, obviously, if the, that story with Andretti is a thing, obviously, they're considering the sale or even a possible relocation of the Alpha Tauri team. I mean, Red Bull proper, the big team built, uh, or sorry, based in Milton Keynes in the UK, and uh, Alpha Tauri is based in uh, Italy, right? So it's it's interesting. I mean, you have these kind of teams that are the same, but they're not. And they're different, but they're not. And they're located physically. And, and Alpha Tower is like one of those rare teams that actually isn't UK based and which you've so, you know, coolly coined as this power alley in uh, in and around Silverstone in, uh, in the UK, right? Um, anyways, Mark... I don't want to take your thunder away from this one because I know that you like you get very passionate when you talk about the whole <laughs> Red Bull and Alpha Tauri and the whole A team and B team and that whole you know perceived conflicts or actual conflict of interest or whatever well, you want to call it, is, it. So, right? Yeah, it is right. We talk about there being ten teams on the grid contending for a Formula One championship, but we all know that's a lie. That's, that's deceitful. That's inaccurate. There are nine teams on the grid that are there to contend for a championship because 
this team, Alpha Tauri, is there for no other purpose than to serve its mother team, Red Bull Racing, based out of Milton Keynes. And for those that don't know, Red Bull bought Minardi back in 2005, and the intention was entirely the purpose of having a B team on the grid. And we've seen that Honda had a B team, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's happened historically in, in the sport. But typically at those times, there weren't only 10 teams on the grid. And my, my honest opinion, and I've been super clear about this, is it's absolutely unacceptable that in 2023, when the sport is as big as it's ever been globally, and it's as flush with cash as it's ever been, and there's this eager demand and desire and need to get more teams on the grid, and we're doing all these things to increase competitive parity and competitive balance, and we're introducing cost caps. It's just, it's total nonsense that one team can own another and use it as a development platform for its drivers. So when this story popped up last week, well, I guess it was a bit, probably at the weekend, maybe? The weekend, yeah. This idea that maybe Red Bull is reconsidering its its need or want to having two teams on the Formula One grid, I became very excited because this is something that the FIA should be pushing for. It's something that Liberty should be pushing for. And it's something that, quite frankly, the other teams shouldn't be accepting. It's it's kind of disgusting in, in a sense. And I get it. They didn't do anything wrong. They did this legally. There was nothing in the sporting regulations that prevented this from happening. But here we are potentially with an opportunity to reverse a wrong. The other thing that's interesting about this is one, Formula One team valuations have never been been higher before. And I think this opens up an opportunity for Andretti that, hey, if Andretti, you're really interested in getting on the Formula One grid. Here's a way of doing it without compensating your rivals. Because even if he paid that $600 million expansion fee to get a team on the grid, he's basically cutting a check for $60 million to every one of his rivals. You don't want to do that. In this case, here's an opportunity potentially for him to get on the grid without cutting a check to his rivals, which is pretty slick. And the other benefit of buying an existing team, you don't have to build the infrastructure. You don't have to hire four or 500 million people. You have agreements with existing suppliers. It is it's a deal made in heaven. Now, of course, like you said, this team is based in Italy. It's not based in Indiana or Michigan or North Carolina. So that might not be ideal, but this would still be the perfect solution. The challenge though is, and I promise you if AlphaTauri hits the open market, it's going to be a seven or $800 million transaction. And quite frankly, I don't think Andretti has that kind of money, but it would be the perfect fit if he wanted to get on the grid. Now, again, there's no guarantee of this happening. There's been lots of rumors. There's been speculation. There's also been speculation that, hey, maybe Red Bull holds onto this team, but for symmetry and cost reduction purposes, maybe they move it closer to the Milton Keynes-based Red Bull team. So there could be some shared cost efficiencies there, get it out of Italy. We already know that Yuki Sonoda, for instance, spends most of his season in Milton Keynes, partly because the team needs to keep a close eye on him and his <laughs> fitness regimen. Yeah. And 
and basically his his poor behavioral qualities. But I think this is a really, really interesting story. Now, it sounds like in recent hours, as we sat down to record this podcast, that Red Bull's trying to walk this story back. Helmet Marco had said some encouraging things earlier this week about the fact that this could be a possibility, but that really it was up to the shareholders of Red Bull to determine what direction they wanted to go with this team. Um, other people within the Red Bull organization have started walking this story back. But to me, what's most intriguing about this is it it eliminates the fact that one team effectively owns another. It also means that we genuinely have a 10-team constructors championship, 10 teams that are out there for no other purpose than to serve their own needs. And also, if Andretti's really serious about getting on the grid, here's an opportunity to do it without cutting a check to his rivals. You know, it, it's funny, right? I mean, in North American sports, we're used to the whole concept of like 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 a farm team, for example, especially when it comes to to pro hockey. Like most NHL teams have a farm team playing in you know a, a lower league, right? But this is like and and you know, whatever example I use here, NFL fan, don't at me because I'm just pulling out random names or teams, right? Th- this is very much like the Dallas Cowboys having another development team. In the same tier, like they're the Cleveland totally. Browns is like their development team. And don't at me, Browns fan. I'm just kind of picking a, a random name here. I mean, it, it's ludicrous to even suggest that, that, you know, you could have somebody in the same, like another team in the same league to develop your players or in this case drivers. But with with Red Bull and AlphaTauri, you know, you're overlooking something as well. Of course, it's been part of that pipeline to develop drivers. And I mean, it's been very circular. There's been a revolving door of drivers moving in both directions over the years because, I mean, they haven't been shy on pulling the pin and, and, and rotating guys back and forth between both teams a number of times. But the other thing is uh, they, they've used it as, you know... I would say, I mean, obviously they've been different, like uniquely designed cars as far as I can tell, but there was that very bizarre situation several years ago when uh, McLaren and Honda, they decided to break up and uh, McLaren paid that whatever it was, a $100 million penalty fee to, and and I think that was right at the start of the um the Liberty right is like when Bernie was leaving and I can't remember if Ecclestone now was, he might've been part of that deal to keep, um, keep Honda in F1. And there was this whole confusing switch of Honda leaving, um, leaving McLaren going to Toro Rosso, which is the previous name, obviously for Alpha Tauri. And then the Renault power then going to McLaren and then Red Bull had the Renault Power, which they'd been using and whining about ever since 2014 that they were underpowered and just uh, couldn't match up to Ferrari and Mercedes. When in the normally aspirated V8 era, they were kicking butts and winning championships and races like they were going out of style. And then as soon as um, you know we get to the V6 Turbo Hybrid era, you know Horner starts whining that they're not good enough, et cetera, et cetera. And even as early as 2014, the first year of it, he was making comments like that and just to escalate it. But anyways, you had this bizarre situation where you have this unraveling relationship between Red Bull and uh, and uh, Renault unfolding in real time before our eyes. Then in their B team, they have Honda power units and they're basically getting all the data out of that. I mean, they get to make this unprecedented call, this unprecedented dry, you know, try before you buy situation as to are these 
you know, Honda engines going to be worth it? I mean, obviously we know the, the ending to that story, but I mean, to me, that's just sort of like unprecedented. I can't think of another example in formula one where a team has been like that, where they've had this opportunity to, to try power units in their junior team or their B team with the, the ultimate goal of, yeah, well, the, the engines we have now kind of suck, but we think we got a really good alternative. So we're going to run it in our other team for a year and then decide whether or not it's going to be good or not. I mean, I, I still can't really get my my mind around it, but I guess the the, the end of this story kind of wraps itself uh, nicely that, yeah, neither of us are really fans about like the whole A team and B team thing, but whether or not Red Bull decides to actually put the team up for sale, well, I guess it's not even really up to them, right? I think the decision will come down to the shareholders in Alpha Tauri rather than um, Helmut Marco or whoever at, at Red Bull deciding we're going to put the team up for, for sale. So, like you said, they're kind of walking this story back, but you know, it, it could change. And at the end of the day, I mean, if Andretti comes in and says, you know, I've got you know 850 million cold hard cash on the table to buy this team do you think that the shareholders are going to say no i mean the shareholders are there ultimately to recoup and hopefully make money on their investment i mean otherwise they wouldn't have invested money in the first place uh, so it is an evolving story and it'll be interesting to see where it goes uh <laughs> or doesn't go. What, what do you think, Amy? Do you think we're going to see a for sale sign go up in the window at Alpha Tower? Or sadly, no. You don't think sadly, so? Sadly, eh? no. I, I I feel if there was vocal opposition from the FIA and Liberty and the teams, maybe. But the fact that the teams aren't pressing for it and that. I think from a Milton Keynes Red Bull perspective, they're perfectly happy retaining this asset on the grid. Um, yeah, I don't see it. And Red Bull's not in any dire financial straits. They don't need the injection of $800 million worth of worth of capital. So I, I don't anticipate it's going to happen. But I really think that people within the sport need to formally lobby for a change of ownership with that team. Yeah, you know, I, I'll, I'll be quite honest. I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical as to whether or not that the the the, you know, the for sale sign will go up in the window there, but I'm willing to kind of you know consider it for the time being until the shareholders have had their say, right? I mean, ultimately, if they're the people that decide whether or not this thing is going to happen, then I think it's still a a, a possibility, but. I'm 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 leaning more towards no than 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 yes. Anyways, Hammy, why don't we take another break and then when we come back, we're going to talk about everyone's favorite other subject that they never knew was a thing, but now is a thing, and that is tire warmers. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. So don't go away. We will be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. 
For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, welcome back. And we are now going to talk about our, well, this is really new, but I mean, this has kind of been bubbling around for, what, a month, six weeks, two months, something like that. It's it's nothing new. Anyways, this is a whole brewing controversy, apparently on uh, tire warmers, the tire blankets. We talked about a little bit uh, last week, uh, just uh, especially with the Pirelli are going to introduce these tire blanketless uh, wet tires that they're going to introduce at uh, I think it's at Imola right in a couple of months that don't need the tire warmers on them anyways Lewis Hamilton seven-time world champion he's criticized Formula One's plan to ban the tire blankets uh, next year he says it's dangerous he says it's pointless and I don't know whether you know whether or not he's got a point there some people think he d- he does some people think he doesn't anyways let's um let's read what lewis had to say when he was talking to the media at uh, the bahrain international circuit earlier this week he said quote i think it's dangerous i've tested the no blankets and yeah there's going to be an incident at some stage so in a safety factor i think it's the wrong decision you have to drive multiple laps to get the tires to work the whole argument that taking away the blankets is going to be more sustainable, a bit more green. In actual fact, we are going to use more fuel to get the temperature of the tires. The more concern, even just when you get out uh, in the cars, you're skating around. It's very twitchy. If uh, if someone else who's on tires that are working, you could easily collide with them. It's a pointless exercise end quote. Anyways, uh, just so we can compare that to some, some comments made by Ferrari driver Charles Leclerc, who said, quote, I did a test and uh, probably the full wets are a good tire without the blankets. The others, I didn't test all of them. Obviously, the intermediates were a bit more difficult. So for now, I don't think we are exactly ready. For the slicks too, I think there's still a little bit of work, especially on the warm-up part of it in the first few laps. It's still quite tricky, but I think the extreme are quite good, uh, quite a good tire without them actually and then finally max verstappen who hasn't tested any of the new tires had to weigh in and the reigning world champ said quote i have no clue what to expect to be honest i haven't tried the wet tires so i hope they work without the blankets i don't know at the moment i think it's better that maybe we can get to test them maybe in practice before actually throwing them into the race i hope it's not going to rain for the race only end quote so interesting uh we can talk about that because um I'm going to throw this over now and introduce some co- you know, comments uh, made by Hinchcliffe, James Hinchcliffe, who's uh, now the uh, the new uh, analyst on uh, the F1 TV. And he said, confused by some of F1 uh, drivers' reluctance to ban tire warmers, it makes for better racing. It highlights the skill of driving on cold tires, and it saves a ton of money slash pollution from freight and energy consumption. The argument that is dangerous has been true, been disproven in many other four-wheeled motorsports and recent claims that it is less sustainable because you'd have to use more fuel to put heat in the tires are inaccurate. Cold tires being less throttle use, higher lap times, which means less fuel consumption. Maybe the first round of Pirelli's wasn't up to the task, but the same manufacturer did an F2 without issue. 
give them time they need, and this should absolutely be the future for F1. It's concerning, however, that they need 50% buy-in from the teams to pass the rule. Okay, so we got a wide range of opinions. Max, we can kind of throw his comments out because he hasn't tried them at all. I think Hinch raises a couple of good points, but he's completely opposite to what Lewis is saying. But I think what, what Hinch is saying is that, hey, you know, they, they've done it in other places. This whole, you know, this this narrative. I mean, he, he basically tries to blow up Lewis's comments without naming Lewis specifically. But he's just saying, hey, the comments that have been made aren't really accurate because this is already being done somewhere else and it's not an issue. So give the give Pirelli the time that they need to nail the compound, get that right. And it's it's not going to be a thing. So I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Mark. Man, I don't think I really have much left to say. You did such a great job of summarizing the article and going through James Hinchcliffe's tweets. But one, just in terms of James Hinchcliffe's comments and it was I think a three-part Twitter thread. Yes, yeah. But yeah, ultimately, <laughs> sorry, he's going to be he's going to be in the booth this year covering Formula One on the F1 TV Pro app. Man, like if you're going to if you're going to blatantly and obviously challenge Lewis Hamilton on this, like just say his name, just say Lewis Hamilton. Like I disagree with Lewis Hamilton and state the reasons why. My my perspective on this is, and again, I've never driven a Formula One car and I've never driven a car on a track that utilized tire warmers. So I couldn't speak to the difference one way or the other, but I, I have to believe that Hamilton could be seen as a subject matter expert. He's been in the sport since 2007 and he successfully won seven world championships that I can't automatically dismiss his perspective on this one. I think ultimately it will happen. And I think a lot of people will be very frustrated about this. And I think it's going to take probably perhaps many years to get the compound just right. But just in terms of the racing spectacle, my personal preference is to see a car come on track with new tires and immediately be able to attack, attack, attack. I I don't get a lot of joy out of the idea that somebody's on the track with degrading tires and shedding time every single lap only to go into the pits, put on ice cold tires and head out to the track and then put in super slow tire or times because it's going to take them another three or four laps to get those tires up to temperature. To me, there's something appealing about tire warmers. That's one of the places where I don't think there's necessarily a need to reduce the carbon footprint. Again, it's electricity. I think a lot of these places have renewable green electricity. And, you know, if you're really concerned with the energy consumption of tire warmers, you know, put up some solar panels at the track to deal with that. And I also highly doubt that the tire warmers, the blankets consume a lot of transportation space. And the reality is, if that's the concern, just pre-stock them at the track. Like, I feel like there's things we can do to get over the objection. But ultimately, the FIA Formula One is moving in a direction to remove them from the sport. I think it's unfortunate. Lewis clearly thinks it's unfortunate, but... I think it's just an inevitability at this point. It's also interesting too. Uh, Mario Isola, who's the uh, head of uh, Pirelli, responded uh, to uh, Hamilton's uh, claim. It's nicely uh, summed up in an article by our good friend Sam Cooper over at PlanetF1.com. Anyways, uh, Isola had to say, "Quote: Lewis tested the tires in Paul Ricard at the uh, beginning of February. It was quite cold at that period, and clearly, we tested some tires that are not the final version of the tires that we want to." 
homo this is a difficult word i never saw it coming homologate without blankets uh, the idea to remove blankets is something that we discussed years ago and it's common thought between the fia f1 teams pirelli and promoters to achieve carbon neutrality for 2030 any step to make our sport more sustainable is important and one of those steps is to remove blankets to avoid using electricity to warm up the tire before we use it we tested it before the christmas break some wet weather tires that was also our priority because last year drivers were not happy about where they were on wet tires we found a new con comp- compound pardon me that is able to work without tire blankets we made a comparison with the old tire with blankets in cold conditions and in all three different circuits with three different teams and if i'm not wrong five different drivers the comments were positive so we are planning to remove the blankets from the wet weather tire from imola onwards this has been authorized by the formula one commission last wednesday end quote so there you go i mean he he's basically laying out that lewis's experience with it was at an earlier time in the season or the earlier time this year when the the conditions were colder and it was a different version of the tire compound and by the time we get to where we need to be it's going to be a completely different tire so i think basically what he's uh, saying to lewis is maybe you want to reserve judgment or comment until you get to try the final version which uh, might be a lot different uh, than than where it is uh, right now but yeah i mean it, it isn't a kind of an interesting thing and like you say it's um, it, it seems it, it's funny how this one is kind of like really kind of like become such a thing, right? And I, I guess could you call it a driver aid? I guess you could call it a driver aid, right? Because instead of getting Definitely. cold yeah, tires, yeah, because totally. I mean, when, when they have the when the tires come out of the blankets and they go onto the car, I mean, they get up to race temperature about what about um, you know half a lap? It's less than a lap after they they, they exit the pit, so. It, it's it's a very very sh- you know short amount of time. I mean, sometimes they struggle to to keep the tires in that that real that that sweet spot and that that real ultimate um, temperature window. But I mean, that's a bit of a different uh, discussion. But it's um, yeah. I mean, it, it we're looking at sort of like a half to two thirds of a lap rather than a couple or maybe several laps without the uh, with the tire blanket uh, warmers. Okay, so uh, let's move on to the next uh, one. So uh, George Russell, second-year Mercedes driver, is uh, changing up his um, his engineer for this year. So he was guided through his debut season at Mercedes uh, by Ricardo Mosconi, which uh, we, who did a very good job. Um, you know, it was their slowest car since 2012, but uh, George still outscored his teammate and seven-time world champion Lewis Hamilton, and also won his first race of his career and won the only race for Mercedes in 2022. Um, Anyways, uh, Russell has uh, decided to go with uh, a new engineer this year, a fellow by the name of uh, Marcus uh, Dudley. Um, Do you want to say anything more to this one? So we'll move along to the next one. I'm getting the head shake and the thumbs up. So, you know, that's a little bit earlier than usual. So I guess, I guess that's what happens (laughs) when we do like eight episodes in a week. It's kind of, we're at the point now we're all, all business says he, when we're like 55 minutes into a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So let's see the, the next one. Okay. I guess we're a little bit uh, out of uh, session here. 
here. So there are going to be extended practice sessions at the Japanese and Mexican Grand Prix this year for 2024 tire tests. So uh, the Pirelli will have uh, some uh, testing going on there. And then what is the next one? Oh, this is an interesting one. I think you'll probably want to talk about this one because this is very sports uh, businessy. But anyways, Formula One has signed a 15-year partnership with Tottenham Hotspur FC, uh, headlined by the construction of a new karting circuit below the Premier League's uh, team's stadium in North London. So they have a state-of-the-art new stadium, and it's a 63,000-seat stadium. And the South Stand will uh, open this year to electric carts, and upon completion will be uh, London's largest or longest indoor karting track. This is uh, very cool, but Mark, I know you're usually all over these uh, sorts of stories, so why don't you fill, in, fill us in on some details? Given your passion for European football, I, I figured this one might be right up your alley, but it is an interesting tie-up. And I feel like I we're beginning to see more and more of this globally that teams in, in one league or one sport are creating relationships with teams or, or other leagues. And this is an interesting one, right? That Formula One is forging an official partnership with, with Tottenham, which is pretty cool. And, and I guess the concept ultimately is they're going to develop or construct a very, very prominent, significant indoor karting track. And of course, if you've been to London, obviously the karting season is pretty short. So they're going to be able to build an all season, all weather indoor track that's going to be focused almost exclusively, I think, on electric carts because of exhaust fumes and, and things like that. But it's very, very cool that you're seeing Formula One forge relationships, not just with sponsors, but also with prominent teams in other sports. And of course, we've seen Lewis Hamilton forging a relationship with the Denver Broncos. And even today, I saw a tweet from Denver, the Denver Broncos um, wishing Lewis well on, it, on his made it or his, on a new Formula One season. I just, I think it's really, really cool. And it's not something that we maybe would have seen in the years past. But my friend, just and not to jump too far ahead, but this is a story that I'm interested to get your take on. Liberty Media reportedly running for a stake in Premier League giants, Liverpool. And of course, Liberty Media, they have the Atlanta Braves. They own Formula One, or at least the commercial rights to Formula One. Looking to carve out a stake in Liverpool, really in the shadow of the fact that it looks like a Qatar-based group is going to take from the Glazers, finally, Manchester United. But Liberty Media carving out a stake in Liverpool. What do you think about that? Yeah, this is incredible because when it comes to buying into like, especially like an English Premier League club, I mean, th this is not pocket change. This is serious, serious, serious money. This is like, you know, like NFL franchise kind of, you know, money, right? I mean, we're talking hundreds of millions of uh, dollars here. So, I mean, we we all knew that uh, that that Liberty has got some pretty uh, deep uh, you know pockets here, but so Fenway Sports Group, who are the the current uh, owners of uh, Liverpool FC, uh, are set to look uh, to welcome what they call further investment into the club with a, a potential minority stake in ownership, which is uh, incredible. So John W. Henry, who's the club owner of uh, of Liverpool FC, said that, that the club is looking for investment, but has completely ruled out 
a full sale at this point at time and the size of uh, Fenway Sports Group, uh, you know, that or the, the portion that they're they're willing to sell has not really been been made clear yet. I mean, but this is incredible. I mean, um, Forbes named Liberty one of the most or named them the world's most valuable sports empire for 2023. So among their assets uh, include Formula One, Sirius XM Radio, the Atlanta Braves in Major League uh, Baseball and all their other assets total $21 billion, according to Forbes magazine. So so they got the money to do it. So it's just like, how much are they willing, do they want to invest in Liverpool? And how much is uh, FSG willing to 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 open up to liberty right i i think it's i think it's it's a fascinating story fenway sports group by the way no small fish in the ocean of billion dollar sports enterprises fenway sports group consists of major league baseball's boston red sex red sex i have to throw the uh, the explicit label onto this episode hammy thank you very much oh man <laughs> oh eight pot <laughs> eight podcasts in a week keep that in keep that yeah. in but yeah fenway sports groups the owners of major league baseball's boston red Sox, the Nailed premier league time Liverpool FC and the National Hockey League's Pittsburgh Penguins. And I think LeBron wow. James has a slice of that too. So certainly not looking to sell maybe the crown jewel of that operation. And I think the last I saw, Liverpool was had an estimated value of about 4 billion English pounds, which is obviously a not insignificant amount, but they're looking to see increased investment from other media groups. And Liberty just happens to be a media group flush with cash. Yeah. And the thing is, uh, for a little bit of context, uh, for for people that maybe don't know the significance of Liverpool, they are one of the biggest and most famous soccer teams globally. I mean, there are fans in all four corners of the globe. I mean, when they go on tour anywhere, like on the preseason before the English Premier League season starts in, I guess, in was it mid-August or thereabouts, they usually do like a preseason tour, a lot of these big European clubs. I mean, they draw huge crowds wherever they go. They they have fans everywhere. So this is a this is a pretty big pretty big thing. Okay, let's I remember take a, just sorry, just on ahead, the note Andy. of the Liverpool piece. Um, eh, people don't care to hear this, but I'll tell them anyways. When I when I was growing up in England, I was in what they basically their their equivalent of elementary school. We call the primary school, and I was there in the late eighties and the early nineties. So before the formation of the Premier League in ninety two ninety three, but they were. They transcended popular culture, and we lived a solid eight-hour drive from Liverpool, but they absolutely transcended popular culture. Like That's how big they were in that society and that culture. They just dominated the, the public conversation. And I just remember, if you were a young kid in primary school and you had a Liverpool kit, that Liverpool jersey, you you were made like you were instantaneously one of the popular kids. But I just it's difficult to explain how much that team has meant at points to the public conversation in that country. They're just stratospherically big. 
Yeah, oh, it's huge. And I was just also thinking too, but uh, remember for a number of years that uh, Chelsea and Sauber had a relationship. Remember the Chelsea FC logo was on the, right, the airbox right. of uh, Sauber. And I actually, when we were uh, when you were talking about it just a little earlier, I went and Googled it. I found the announcement. So when they partnered up was actually 2012. And I don't know how long that actually like lasted, but uh, it, it did last several years before that sponsorship uh, disappeared. But it was interesting too that the, uh, the name that was uh, thrown around uh, quite a bit was uh, Roman Abramovich, who is now the former owner of uh, of Chelsea FC, who was kind of like removed after the, you know the whole Russia Ukraine thing. Because I mean, he's a, a you know Russian oligarch, and although you know, uh, anyways, we don't need to get in that. But uh, you know, they uh, you know Chelsea and Sauber did have a, you know a sponsorship deal at uh, at one point because Chelsea said that their values uh, and uh, their brands were were quite aligned because at that point. Point uh, ten years ago, like it's more than ten years ago now that uh, that uh, their Sauber was the fourth oldest team on the grid at that point, which I guess would have been. Well, I guess the other ones would have been Ferrari, Williams, McLaren. I would think at that point. Anyways, we can do a little bit of homework on that one. Anyhow, let's take another break, and then there's a couple more little uh, quick news hits uh, to get to, and then we're going to talk about the Bahrain Grand Prix. So don't go away. We will be back in just a moment. All right, welcome back and break out the yoga pants, Formula One fans, because Joe Guan Yu, the Alpha Romeo driver, has now become Lululemon's newest ambassador. And this is a story that uh, comes uh, via ChinaDaily.com.cn. So here we go, Hammy. I mean, Lululemon is a, a brand that we're very familiar with here in uh, in Vancouver on the West Coast. And Hammy, you're, you're rocking the Lululemon yoga pants right now, aren't you? I there isn't a moment in my day where I'm not wearing something from Lululemon. So this collaboration is talking about transcendent. The fact that a Vancouver based athletic apparel wearer is partnering with a formula one driver. My two favorite things are colliding. I love this brand. I love this driver. I thought this was so cool. And unfortunately the story is actually a couple of weeks old. And I, I only discovered it when I was reading some older episodes of engine failure from Lily Herman, but oh, okay. what a cool story that a formula one driver is now an ambassador for Lululemon, whose products are exceptional. I love them. I, I don't care what anybody says. I will <laughs> praise them all day long. And they're not a sponsor yet, yet. Lululemon, <laughs> if you're listening. Uh, we are happy to sign up. But I they're, they're, whether it's socks oh, hang or on, boxer hang on. shorts I, I got, or hoodies or shorts. Chip Wilson is calling right now. I got to put you on holds. And then, uh, anyways, so I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm I love kidding. It. I, I love wish. It. I, love I it. wish. Okay, yeah. that's that's enough praise for one of my new favorite drivers and one of my favorite <laughs> clothing brands. We can move on to the Actually, most but, important but the topic. The promo at hand. pictures of Joe wearing like uh, the the Lululemon stuff and sitting there and posing there, you know, he he's got the look, right? I mean, yeah. it seems to me to be a, a very good match. I mean, he's 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 rocking the gear. He's pulling it off, in my opinion. I think it looks good. Uh, okay, Hammy. So here we go. Finally, Bahrain Grand Prix this weekend. So we're coming back. We're going back to Bahrain, where we've been obviously every year since 2004. We've been there a couple extra times during COVID. So uh, we've had 18 runnings of the, the the Bahrain Grand Prix. Lewis Hamilton has won there the most. Uh, the other Hammy, you know, the the goat Hamilton has uh, five wins there. 
Ferrari is the most winningest uh, constructor. They've got seven wins there. This is a 5.41 kilometer, 3.36 mile long circuit. Race length is 308.24 kilometers or 191.5 miles. 57 laps. Last year, we saw Charles Leclerc on pole position with a, a pole time of 130.558. The podium was Charles Leclerc, Carlos Sainz, Lewis Hamilton. Fastest lap was set by Charles Leclerc, and that was a 134.57. And most noticeably, the the two names that stand out that, or at least one of them that isn't on the podium from the Bahrain Grand Prix from 2022 is Max Verstappen and or his teammate Checo Perez, who both had untimely DNFs and what sort of started off as an interesting story 12 months ago where there were some big question marks maybe surrounding some of Red Bull's reliability. I mean, ultimately, they proved to be pretty bulletproof for the uh, the, the rest of the season. But in those early days, there was a couple of little incidents uh, that, uh, that kind of had a lot of question marks uh, going around. But Mark, let's talk about this uh, right now. 12 months uh, forward, the big question is now... Have the other teams, have Mercedes, have Ferrari closed the gap, or is this going to be another incident of watching Max and perhaps uh, Checo running away down into the distance in the desert in Bahrain, or are these other guys going to be able to to keep up to them? Hard to say because we don't have any we meaningful don't know. data. We, we don't know we yet. We don't that's know. That's exactly it. We just, we don't have any meaningful data. And and we talked about the fact that winter testing, winter testing, preseason testing, the teams aren't going to show their cards and they're literally out there testing different things, tire compounds, um, suspension firmness. They're they're trying to induce porpoising to understand the limits. They're, they're trying to determine whether they're CFD modeling and air tunnel aerodynamic assumptions are accurate. There's a million things that they're doing that aren't putting in the fastest lap. So we can, we can piece together little bits and pieces. Like we can assume that Red Bull is going to have a great, super reliable power unit this year. We can assume that Ferrari's probably developed some additional reliability. We can assume that Mercedes has got a better package because last year they really had a really great great run in the back half of the season. Lewis almost wins in Coda. And of course, George has that spectacular weekend in Brazil. So we can make assumptions based on the small pieces of data that we have, but we just don't know. And even after tomorrow, after we've seen a couple of practice sessions, it's probably still going to be a little bit early, but I think we'll know an awful lot come qualifying and we'll certainly have a much better perspective on where these teams stand after the Grand Prix. I, I just, I quickly wanted to add uh, a little bit about this track because it's one of my favorite on the calendar. And I, I'm, again, I think we all like that romantic notion of opening in, in Australia. And I think I'd love to get to a place where we can do Australia, Japan, and China to open the season. But I, I'm more than happy to open the season in Bahrain. The track, of course, debuted in 2004. It was the first Formula One Grand Prix in the Middle East. They moved to a night configuration in 2014. One of the things that makes this track very challenging is that it is extremely hot. It's extremely dry. And there's an article here from F1.com that is that basically explains the track in two terms, grippy asphalt and sticky sand. And what it means by that is 
The track is an extremely abrasive surface. In fact, the the aggregate for the truck or for the track is actually shipped in from a quarry in England. It's intentionally grippy. It's an intentionally abrasive track, but it's also can be a little bit slippery because there's an awful lot of wind and wind gusts can pick up during the, the, the race itself or a qualifying or a practice session. So what they have to do is they go and spray all of the sand surrounding the track in the days and weeks ahead of the Grand Prix because they want to mat it and they want to keep it down so that the track can be as grippy as possible. The other major consideration here is that the heat is is a real significant stressor on the cars, the power units, the suspension, the cooling systems, the brakes, the tires. So it's a very significant work workout for these cars. And it's one of the reasons that 10 years ago now they moved to a night session because they wanted to reduce some of that strain and also just make attending the race a little bit more pleasurable. It wasn't it wasn't something I think a lot of people enjoyed sitting in the sunshine at 2 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon when it's mid-30s and the blazing sun with high humidity. So I think the night races is really great. I think the configuration of the track is super fantastic. And I think it clocks in at 5.14 kilometers in the configuration they use for this race. But I also think, I believe that there's five or six different configurations that the track can be set up for that are all FIA certified. And of course, in 2020, we saw the outer circuit, which was really cool. We had actually back-to-back Grand Prix at this track. And we saw the outer circuit for the first time, which is almost like a, a really fast oval. But I love love the track. I love the run up to the first corner. Uh, cars are usually clocking in at 320 kilometers an hour. They have to shed 260 kilometers an hour and 150 meters to make that first corner at 60 kilometers an hour. I love it. I think it's beautiful and I think it looks great under the lights and I get really, really excited to go to Bahrain every single year to kick off the season when we do have the opportunity to do so. Yeah, absolutely. I was just uh, looking at the, uh, the 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 weather forecast uh, for the race itself. So we're looking at uh, race time on uh, on on the weekend. We're looking sort of like low to mid twenties, which would be anywhere from about twenty two to twenty six uh, degrees uh, Celsius. Uh, I was just trying to bring up uh, what that might be. Uh, you know, do the uh, get the conversion here into Fahrenheit. So we're kind of looking somewhere like sort of like mid to high seventies uh, Fahrenheit. I just also wanted Mark uh, just to make another comment. So. Last year, looking going back to uh, what was the fastest time for for Charles, I think it was like a one thirty four something. And uh, just looking here, the lap record was set by Pedro Della Rosa and a McLaren MP four twenty, going all the way back to two thousand and five. And Pedro's lap record is a one thirty one point four four seven. So we're we're seconds off like the lap uh, record uh, there. Also, I, I like that you brought up the, the 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 fact that there are multiple versions of this uh, circuit that we've seen and uh, most recently we saw what they call is the, the the Bahrain outer circuit which we saw in the the covid year which we saw right at the end of the the, the, the season which i think we had like was like about a sub 1 minute uh, lap time i think it was what was about 56 57 seconds i was also just looking here they have the uh, what they call the endurance circuit so they ran this in 2010 20 23 turns, 6.3 kilometers or 3.9 miles, 
Fernando set the uh, the lap record for that one in a Ferrari F10, and that lap time was a one fifty eight point two eight seven. So I mean, that added another almost thirty seconds onto it. But you know, I think it's a pretty cool track. You know, uh, in general, like I, I must admit, like way back in the day when they said they wanted to start having night races for whatever reason, I was just like, I don't know, if Formula One will ever kind of if it'll ever work, but under the big spotlights, but it does, and I look forward to uh, to, to to going especially to Bahrain I think it's a great track and I think it's a, it's very challenging and I, I love the different uh, variations uh, of it but I also wanted to just address something that you said to you said maybe we'll have a better idea come Saturday after qualifying how these cars are going to line up and and I'm going to argue that point to a certain extent because we just don't know yet we we might know okay Max was uh, fast as he he got pole and Lewis ended up on beside him on row one what it, whatever it is or whoever it might be however this this grid shapes out but we won't even really have a good indicator then because we won't know, you know, maybe the Red Bull's a, a car that's really, really good in qualifying trim and maybe not quite so good in race trim or vice versa. And, you know, that could be said for any of the the, the other uh, teams. So it will be interesting, you know, like to see obviously qualifying to see who gets on pole. But, you know, we're, we're going to need you know, obviously a race or two to really kind of figure out where we're, where we're at and how all the cars, uh, you know, kind of line up a- against, uh, each other. I mean, it's, it's really hard at this point to, to make a prediction and, 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 and say, okay, well, you know, I, I could say, well, okay, well, I, I think Max is going to base, you know, win this race, but all I'm kind of basing that on is the fact that he was so dominant in 2022. And I'm just going to say that unless somebody comes and proves otherwise, you know, I'm going to put my money on max i mean it's just kind of based on history it's got nothing to do with uh, what what may or may not happen uh, this weekend i mean until we see and especially what uh, you know i've got a lot of questions surrounding ferrari right i mean are they going to get it right this year we we talked about it with tim last weekend in the in the season preview i mean this is a team that that made so many bad calls on the pit wall last uh, last season made so many bad strategy you know decisions going into race is that as as difficult as it is as it is for Fred Vasseur to come in so late into a team like a Ferrari and you know to have to especially like in the development cycle because basically when he got to the factory of Marinello they're probably just putting the the final codes of uh, of paint on the car for 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 2023 so I mean his input into this car for this year is absolutely minimal except for maybe some of the sponsor placements or whatever it might uh, what, what might be I mean it's just a very minimal thing but where he can have an influence and that's uh, what we were talking about on the pod with Tim on Sunday last Sunday night is he can be that person that really puts his stamp on the team about how this team operates now when it comes to strategy going into a race and what they do on the pit wall on Fridays on Saturdays and most importantly on, on Sundays what do you have to say to that Hammy yeah yeah I totally agree man I'm eager I'm eager for your predictions though, because, and just to back it up before we get to predictions, I, I did, I did really like your point about, you know, we're not going to know anything after practice. We're not going to know anything after qualifying. We're not going to know anything after the race. We're probably not going to know anything for a couple of races, but even then what we know is going to evolve because the teams will have, 
were kind of acquired, captured so much data during winter testing that they're probably compiling that and formulating and developing and engineering the parts that they're going to need to improve their cars. So it's probably not going to be exactly clear to us until we get to Australia what we're really really dealing with here. And I I think the one caution that I would have for people, and you and I were talking about this a little bit before the show started is, and this is not a dig at Red Bull, and this is not a dig at Red Bull fans. But I think there's this concern that if Red Bull goes out and romps to a victory, that that means that the championship is all but buttoned up and it's decided. And what I don't want is for people who are hoping for something different than the outcome of last year to check out that early. That Red Bull may very well go and dominate dominate this race, Um, but then the reality is Ferrari could dominate the next three. So don't, regardless of whether it's Ferrari or Mercedes or Red Bull, whomever wins this race, whomever's on the podium, don't read too much into that. Enjoy it, especially if it's somebody that you're cheering for or supporting. Enjoy it. Relish the moment. Um, get excited about it. But don't assume necessarily that that's the way the rest of the championship is going to play out. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a great point, Mark. Uh, thank you for bringing that up. And uh, I was also thinking too is that it, it'll be interesting. Like, so I, obviously we've got our eyes on, on Red Bull to see. Well, we're going to have eyes on all ten of the teams. But I mean, the big questions that we have is obviously are going to be what is the situation with Red Bull? Are they going to be you know that that step ahead of everyone else? That their their arms length or more ahead of everyone else in terms of pace? But then also when it comes to their their main rivals, Ferrari. And and Mercedes, and 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 no, I'm I'm not sold on a Mercedes at the at the moment just because the the W14 is basically a holdover and a development from the W13, which was so problematic for them last year. But they, they obviously feel like this car has something left to, to to prove before they decide to yeah you know go with this long term and go decide yeah we're all in on this side podless design or make that call and say you know th- this just hasn't panned out the way that we we thought and expected it to and then because they admitted just last week or the week before whenever it was that they basically have plans for a completely different alternative car that they can spool up and 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 put together fairly quickly should that uh, need to be done so if they get off to what be by our standards and our expectations based on what we've seen every year since 2014 with last year obviously being the exception is that if they maybe we see more of the same in the first race or two uh, that we saw last year that that maybe they make that call and decide you know w14 the side podless car it's it's just not worth it anymore and then so maybe we see a bit of a you know a short transition as they they bring their alternative car in so that's obviously another one and ferrari i mean obviously last year that car had a ton of speed, had a ton of potential, but the way that it was, I mean, we, we talked about it and speculated how they were pushing it to the extremes because the amount of components that were breaking and having to be re- replaced on the car. I mean, you had that really great comp that we kind of followed throughout the season as to who was replacing what components in the car, like MGUHs and Ks and gearboxes right, right. and, you know, CD players in the dashboard, <laughs> whatever, like, whatever it is, right? 
right? And Ferrari, like their the the list of like the the replacements uh, parts that they'd had to switch in and out of their cars all season long was so much more compared to uh, Red Bull and so much more compared to uh, Mercedes. They're two direct and main rivals. I mean, it was really quite astonishing to see that. So that's the one big uh, you know uh, question that I have: Can that car be competitive without? dialing everything up so much to getting to the extremes that it, it's it's stressing the car and the components to the absolute max and therefore affecting reliability and then the obvious one that we were just talking about a couple of minutes ago is can they make the right calls like from from the pit wall and as tim mentioned and i thought it was a great point that that fred vasur he's a pure racer and and i think that uh, you know he's going to make uh, a lot better calls on the pit wall that you know compared to what we've seen in in recent years and moreover i, I think that this year we're going to finally see like an established uh, order at uh, at Ferrari and obviously he's got that uh, established relationship with Charles Leclerc because Leclerc drove for him at uh, Sauber a couple of years ago in his first season in Formula 1 so i mean of course he's going to be you would think impartial going into that job but i think if you're Carlos Sainz you might have like a, a I wouldn't say a chip on your shoulder, but maybe you're feeling a, an extra sense of urgency to come in and and really perform and, and really say you know have the 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 attitude of that yeah I you know not only do I deserve to be here but I deserve um, to have the opportunity to be considered for that number one because I think that uh, we will see that finally defined this year whether I you know probably it'll be Charles but. Who knows? You know, I mean, Carlos has proven he's a pretty good racer, but is he as good or as better as Charles? I don't think so, but it'll be interesting to watch that situation with them. One of many exciting storylines to follow. We're sitting here, we've clocked in so far at an hour 23. People are probably eager to hear Daly's predictions for this Grand Prix, my friend. Who do you think is going to take pole and who do you think will climb atop the podium on Sunday afternoon? I'm going Max and Max for pole and for the uh, for for the race win. I'm going to put Charles Leclerc on the podium, and then my shock P3. I'm going with Fernando. Oh, I'm going with I Fernando. Would, if we are sitting here on su- one, I I would love to see that. If we are sitting here on Sunday and we're talking about a Fernando podium. Oh, I think we'll be in a really great place this season, my friend. <laughs> really great. And I think Max is going to get the double. He's going to he's going to score a pole. Fantastic. Great job to Max. He's going to he's going to have a convincing race win, I suspect. Um I would expect to see a Ferrari driver on the podium whether it's Charles or Carlos. Um and I would expect to see maybe a Lewis or a Lewis or a George Russell um, on the podium as well, um, which I think would be great. But seeing a midfield team like Aston Martin, boy, would that be a shock to the F1 system. And boy, would that be a shot across the bow. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the the other question that uh, we had was, uh, you know, is Lance going to get in that second Aston Martin? Sounds like it's going to be, but it sounds that uh, he did break his uh, wrist in that uh, cycling accident he had a couple of uh, weeks ago. Uh, But he said that he will race with a bit of a discomfort in Bahrain. I mean, some of the other names that uh, were kind of thrown out there was the uh, Brazilian driver, Felipe Drugovic. There was even some talk that maybe Seb might come back and uh, fill in for for Lance if he's uh, not uh, good to go uh but uh, apparently um you know stroll did say that uh, that uh, he will try and drive through the discomfort but you know that's 
you know, who knows, that might be easier said than done. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, you know, stress and strain that goes through a, a driver's hands and wrist. And, you know, I mean, if you're just a couple of weeks from, from, you know, a break in your wrist, and I guess it depends, you know, like how bad was that, you know, that break. It, uh, you know, obviously they know better than we do whether, you know, what, what Lance's condition is and if he feels himself, he can do it. But I can imagine that would not be a very pleasant thing to have to do or to, to try and race through. Anyways, Hammy, I gave you my predictions. What, what are yours? You know, I, I, I guess kind of we're, we're looking at the same sort of thing, right? Or yeah, do, dude, do I just see some. I could tell. I could tell. This is podcast number four for us in the last week or so. Um, I just said my predictions. Were yeah. you not even listening to me? Not That's really. okay because I've been scrolling through TikTok for the last twenty minutes. So my <laughs> predictions. My prediction are Max is going to take pole. Max yes. will take the race win, and there'll be a Ferrari and likely a Mercedes on the podium. That's my yeah. prediction. It's a very, very, very soft take. But like you said, boy, would I love to see a midfield team score a podium tomorrow, tomorrow, Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, and and this is a the the time to uh, to to you know, or to sign off because I've officially reached saturation point because <laughs> I I saw your lips moving and I ho- I heard the words and then it completely didn't register and then I asked you the exact same question and and, and here we are but you answered so nicely and uh, you know I I will take my shame now and I I will sign off nicely and we will come back on on Sunday night Sounds and great. It, it's been fun I mean you know like a uh, I joke a little bit to hear, but you know, the, the last, I guess, two weeks as we've kind of like turned up the dial and increased the flow of the content as we we've gotten closer to the green lights at Bahrain. Sure. It's been a lot of work. Sure. We're, we're both feeling a little bit uh, tired and, uh, you know, a little bit spent after putting in so much time to produce all these podcasts, but it, it's been a hell of a lot of fun the past uh, week or two weeks very, because, very, you know, very much it, agreed. it's just, you know, I, I've got that sort of feeling now that uh, they like that Christmas Eve feeling that, uh, that you get when you're all ready for the big day. I'm getting the same feeling now with the with the, the the Grand Prix to come. So the hard work has definitely been worth it. I hope that you guys uh, have uh, enjoyed it. And uh, certainly we're going to be uh, coming back and doing uh, a lot more uh, over the, you know, the entire season as we do, obviously. And it's great to think that, Mark, we're going to be doing a Sunday show that that isn't just well, I wouldn't say a random show. There's you know especially this year there's been tons of news to talk about on Sundays or Mondays when we've been doing the second weekly show. But it's great to think that we're going to be talking about an actual race in just like about 72 hours from now. And uh, well, I think everybody knows now that we're excited about it. But uh, it's cool and it's fun to do that. Anyways, we're going to sign off now, guys. Enjoy the, uh, the the race this weekend. If you want to get in touch with us throughout the weekend, send us a tweet at Scooter F1 Pod. And that's it. Enjoy. We'll be back on Sunday night to wrap this one up and uh, give you our takes on the, the, the race. Until then, enjoy the race, enjoy the weekend, and we'll see you again soon. Bye for now.